Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We have a great show for you today. The Detroit Auto Show is coming up next week, so we're going to preview what we know about the new Ford Mustang, the 2024 car. We don't know a lot, but we've got some spy photos. We've got some teasers. Zach is going to the new presentation, so he has some thoughts. Uh, we also have the Chrysler 300 on its way out, uh, and it might be coming back in a little bit, perhaps as an electrified version. We'll see about that. We've been driving lots of different things, including a Tesla Model S Plaid that had 19,000 miles on it, uh, a Kia Sportage X-Pro, which I actually put almost 300 miles on, a lot of miles on this thing. We'll talk about the EV6, which is our long-termer that we've had for a little bit, and the Hyundai Palisade, which is our long-termer that just left. We'll run through some other news items, and we will spend your money. With that intro, though, I've got to bring in road test editor Zach Palmer. What's going on, man? Oh, I'm actually just fresh off of a road trip with that long-term EV6. Just put about 1,400 miles on it, the electric style. So yeah, just a little preview of what's to come. We can talk about some electric road tripping. Sounds good. I had the EV6 all-wheel drive wind. So we will, let's talk EV6. It was a lot of fun. Did not put nearly that many miles on it, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's kick things off with the Mustang next week. A week from now, we're recording this on a Wednesday, September 14th. That's the debut of the new 2024 Mustang. They are going to stampede into Detroit, Hart Plaza, for a big public reveal, public press conference. It's going to be pretty epic. Um, you know, that will be the main press day of the Detroit Auto Show. President Biden is scheduled to appear. Uh, we don't know if he's going to go to this part of it, but he's going to be at the show. So, I mean, suddenly the Detroit Auto Show has gotten a lot more interesting in the last probably like week and a half, uh, led by the Mustang, which we already had known was going to be there. Um, you know, just looking at it, we know that it's going to retain sort of a familiar silhouette. We expected that. I feel like the Mustang is getting into that kind of like like 9-11 territory where they're not going to do too much drastic with the exterior. They haven't really done something very drastic since they went retro back in like 05, I think. So, you know, I, I, it's going to continue to be um, an evolution, but they've had some pretty strong evolutions over the years. You know, if you look at that first car from, you know, 17, 18 years ago to where it is now, it's like the new, the Mustang is ripped. And I assume that they will continue that design theme. We don't really know a whole heck of a lot else. But we do know it's going to be a huge deal. We expect this will be sort of the final hurrah for the Mustang as an ICE, internal combustion engine car, uh, before it shifts to electric. That's about all we know right now. I imagine all-wheel drive, or excuse me, rear-wheel drive will be part of it. I don't know. Rumors have said all-wheel drive, but we know nothing about that. I personally think that would be great. But, you know, that's, that's kind of a high level. You're going to stampede into Hart Plaza, which is one of the main amphitheaters along the Detroit River. Um, what are you thinking about some of the spy shots and what we've seen? I am, yeah. I'm actually really looking forward to that. I'll be driving uh, an ice white edition Mustang GT into there. Beautiful car. Uh, yeah, should be, should be really neat to show up in that. Um, but yeah, just like from what you were saying... Uh, I don't think this Mustang is going to piss anybody off. I don't think it's really going to ruffle too many feathers. Uh, you know, Ford has already actually said that it's going to offer a manual transmission. 
they have teased us with V8 soundtracks. It's going to have a V8. You're going to be able to get a manual with it. Uh, it's going to make all of the purists really happy. Uh, and also, just, just like from what you said from those spy shots, the design looks very consistent with what we've seen in the past. You know, it'll look different. It'll look new. Uh, but it's not some giant revolution. It's not like it's going four doors or there's a hatchback or anything crazy like that. Um, it just looks like it's going to be a pretty normal Mustang. And, uh, you know, the same goes for the interior. I think we can expect a pretty, pretty normal Mustang style interior. Just more tech, uh, probably maybe even more safety features and, uh, just in, in general, moving the train along without uh going nuts with it and uh yeah like you were saying there too about the hybrid i don't know uh i'm gonna find out soon we're all gonna find out soon it's like a week from now uh where ford is actually going with this i know that there were some crazy rumors like a year or two ago like they're going full electric it's gonna be hybrid only it's gonna have all-wheel drive and you know all those things that worry everybody um but as we're actually getting closer to the proper reveal, it's looking like a Mustang through and through. Uh, and I, I certainly love that. The fact that we get, you know, probably five, six, maybe seven more years of a traditional normal Mustang that uh, it's going to make big, loud V8 noises. It's definitely going to make me happy. Yeah, I, I think probably the first part of the reveal, I'm just hypothesizing here, will be fairly traditional play the hits Mustang. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's something like a variant that has like a hybrid assist or something, just kind of like a gentle like transition uh, to give the faithful what they want now, but also a taste of what is to come, you know, because it, it looks like, you know, we have the Mach-E, which is, of course, the electric crossover. That is sort of the direction that Ford Motor Company is going. Um, and they were very, you know, cognizant to put mustang on that thing even though you know it's, it's definitely a crossover you know we've both driven it it's a lot of fun to drive but it's it's different from you know a traditional mustang so um you know we'll see i mean i imagine you know the interior a lot of times they with ford they've done a good job of keeping it fairly retro with the big dials um they have finally sorted started to get some of that, you know, larger infotainment systems and like this Mustang. Um, but it's a vastly different experience than what you might see in the Mach E. So uh, I'm yeah. excited. Some of my big questions, honestly, are not even what we're going to see here, but like what is going to come later? Yeah. Like, are we going to get Shelby's? Yes. Because like, obviously we have the Shelby GT350. We still have the Shelby GT500. Uh, Dodge is basically saying like, well, Hellcat engine is gone after 2023. What is Ford doing over here? Are they going to still have these like fire breathing monsters like three or four years from now? What is the the plan as, as the years go along since we're getting a totally new generation of Mustang here? Uh, are we going to slowly devolve into electrification and give us, you know, V8s with big electric motors and hybrid assist and that's going to be what's, what's up? Or are we still going to get crazy supercharged? V8s with 700 plus horsepower. So I think that, that those are all things that, you know, maybe we'll get a somewhat of a hint at, um, but I would, I would definitely count on waiting to get any big, big details about the higher performance variants of what the Mustang will be this generation. 
It's interesting because I actually think there's a pretty good opportunity right there is Dodge, of all people, curtails some of their fire-breathing muscle cars. You know, I mean, if you wanted to sell a V8 for maybe three, four, five years, you got a lot of people who are like, hey, I want to sign up for that. So I think, ironically, there could be, um, you know, definitely an opportunity there. Now, the question is, how and when do you do you market that? You know, do you necessarily want to roll out a fire-breathing V8? at a show where the president is there, who's you know already talking about the different electric strategies. If you're Ford, you may not want to do that. You know, General Motors very um, obviously rolled out the electric Cadillac concept, uh, geez, in 08, 09, specifically because they were trying to like tell legislators, and at the time they were, you know, it was the sort of the bailout period. Hey, this is what we could do. So I don't, yeah, you know, I don't know if that would be the right look, but I do think, I mean, that they probably have an opportunity to still sell the V8 for, you know, a good four or five years. And frankly, I think they should. You know, I think um, right now, you know, if you want an electric car, that's awesome. That's great. Um, but if you want like a traditional Mustang and Ford still has that capability, it's already paid for, you know, maybe sell those for a little while too, you know. So we'll see. Yeah. And that Biden angle is actually kind of interesting too, because you know, obviously they've done a lot of, you know, pushing of uh, EVs and whatnot. You know, Biden actually came by and test drove the Lightning when it was still in pre-production yeah. form. He's he's done a lot of cool stuff with, with the Hummer EV and uh, just more or less, you know, being around EVs. But at the same time, we all know that Biden is like a huge car enthusiast and loves like old muscle cars. Um and this is, you know, sort of in the vein of what an old muscle car is as well. So, I don't know. I, I feel like you could go either way with it. And uh, he might be like, all right, yeah, this is actually kind of cool, guys. This this rocks. So. <laughs> that's actually very true. I, I, You know, you're. that's a really great point. You know, he has, I believe, what, a 60-something Corvette? So, 60, three yeah, or seven? Pretty sure it's a 63 convertible. Yeah. I, 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 I think that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, so. that's a great point. Um, that could actually make it even more likely they roll out a Shelby or something, which would be kind of <laughs> awesome. Um, I just, I'm dating myself. I was actually at the auto show the last time he showed up for it, um, back when he was vice president. And he, um, I believe he looked at some of the Corvettes and things like that back then. Um, it's always interesting when the celebrities drop into the Detroit Auto Show. There was Travis Barker from Blink-182, was really yeah. into Cadillacs. Um, I think he was briefly a Cadillac spokesperson. So, um, you know, it, I, I, suddenly, like, the gas has been turned up for the Detroit Auto Show. When we first saw that kind of press conference list, there was like three car companies on it, a bunch of suppliers you had never heard of. It's like, oh, boy, this is... They're stumbling here, you know, they're trying to relaunch it, but they're stumbling it. But now suddenly there is about four, there's five or six like actual brand press conferences. You've got the president flying in, you know, you've got a new Mustang to be the headliner. Hey, that sounds like a pretty good show to me. So um, at least that's a start. And then we see, you know, what form it takes in the future years. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Also looking forward to it being uh, maybe like, 70 degrees and sunny outside instead of 15 degrees and snowing. Uh, this will be the first time that it's not January in Detroit for the auto show. So good times ahead, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. It was 56 degrees this morning. And I was thinking to myself, what's it going to be a week from now? 
Is it going to be like cold? Is it going to be 90? Half of the show's outdoors. So, you know, it is. It, it, <laughs> let's just hope it's not raining. <laughs> I'm going to wear my running shoes and probably like some sort of like suit blazer combination. And part of my goal is I want to walk the whole new footprint because there's this like dinosaur off-road park that I have to like see how that is so I can tell my kid if it's worth his time. Um, Got to get over to Hart Plaza. And then there's a, like a couple other things up and down the riverfront. So it sounds sounds pretty cool. So yeah, sounds yeah. like it'd be maybe even more cool for the public once it opens for public days with all of these really cool exhibits that are active. So yeah. All right. So speaking of the show, we do expect there's going to be a Chrysler 300 of some form unveiled next week um, in conjunction with the auto show. Uh, so we we don't really know much else about that, uh, but we know a couple things about the Chrysler 300. It's on its way out, just like the rest of the LX uh, cars are from Dodge. That's the Charger or the Challenger. The 300 is basically the same thing with just different interiors and different styling, a little bit more of a luxurious bent. Um, we know there's going to be some sort of like a final edition with the 300 like there is with the Dodges. And then rumors are there's going to be an electric 300. So we'll see if any of those or all of that shows up next week at the show. Um, but I think it would be a good setting for Chrysler to kind of say something about the 300. I think that would be um, now is a good time to kind of get the conversation going on that. Because we now know a little bit about how they're going to replace the Charger or the Challenger. The 300 is sort of like, you know, one of the originals, you know, that it won all those car of the years when it came back out for design and like its handling, you know, it was a Chrysler Mercedes in many forms with that old E-Class chassis. So um, we'll see. Yeah, it would be really great to see Chrysler just come out and say, you know, some some big things, lay out some some really good plans. They've been toting that airflow concept around now for a few shows. Um, they gave it a new paint job in New York earlier this year. You know, it just doesn't really make that big of a splash, especially when they say, well, we're not exactly building this, but we are building an electric crossover. It just won't be this one. So to see some kind of like concrete news, some sort of concrete EV plans of theirs laid out in Detroit, it would be really nice. And about that 300, I mean, as as, as much as I would love for their final edition to be, you know, as, as crazy as, as they're going for the Challenger and Charger Hellcat. Um, I don't know that it will be. Um, like 300 Hellcat would be like a dream, a dream come true. I know that there are actually people out there that do those conversions on Chrysler 300s. I've seen them roaming around every now and then. But uh, I don't think that Chrysler would do anything as crazy as that to send their car off. Maybe uh, just some, some cool appearance and or performance kits on the 300C. And, you know, that's that's still a cool car. It has the 5.7 V8 in it. Um, makes great noises and goes quickly. But, um, yeah, be a shame to see that car go. And, but just like you said, hopefully we see what is coming up next here soon. I think there's definitely an opportunity for them at this point. It's a perfect setting. You know, you've already said somewhat what Dodge is going to do. Also, they build the 300 in Brampton, Ontario, like across the river from where this, like, this auto show is. So um, great venue, good opportunity to kind of say, hey, this is what we're going to do. And I, for me, I think what they need to do is recapture the magic of that 
like 05 to 10 Chrysler 300. That car won a ton of honors. Doesn't have to actually be a sedan. You know, when I look at the Kia Sportage, which we'll get to it a little bit, it's a gorgeous car. It's just like a couple inches higher off the ground than you might expect a, like a car to be. So they could call it a crossover because nobody's going to buy a Kia sedan right now, at least not in any critical numbers. So maybe that's the play. I don't know. Like you, this like the airflow concept, other than they dusted off a name from like 1936, doesn't do much for me. You know, it's sort of like that Lincoln concept from Pebble Beach with the like the weird doors. Um, <laughs> design concepts are great. They can be great, but they can also be a little just like, like, okay, you're clearly never going to build this or whatever you do build off of this is going to be so different that who knows. So, um, so we'll see. I mean, but that, you know, Mustang and 300, a couple of big headliners there coming up in Detroit next week. So stay tuned. All right, let's talk about, we'll run through a couple other news items here. Uh, rumors are McLaren is going to finally do a crossover. They had said they weren't, um, but I mean, no less than Ferrari next week, speaking of, is going to reveal a uh, the Pura Sang, which is a crossover for all intents and purposes. I think they're going to do it on the 13th. So it's going to be a busy week for us next week. Um I think it makes a ton of sense for McLaren to do it. I don't know if they really have the know-how to do it. They might need to kind of lean on somebody to help them here. But I mean, the number of interesting engines, including a V6 that I think, you know, could be like that fire-breathing V6. You know, maybe they get some form of electrification. Aston Martin to me is the playbook for how you make a crossover that looks and feels how you want it to be as far as being true to your brand. You know, Porsche, to me, gets into that more commodity space. I can't believe I'm saying that, but Cayennes and Macans are so ubiquitous. It is what it is. So, I don't know. I, I think they should do it. What do you think? Yeah, I honestly think that it was inevitable. Uh, McLaren has said for what feels like eons at this point that they're not going to build an SUV. They're not going to build a crossover. It's against the ethos of the brand, blah, blah, blah. Um, meanwhile, every single one of their competitors have come out with a crossover and it has just racked up sales like crazy. Uh, every single one of them has done really well because of course, you know, you have a, uh, Ferrari F8 Tributo in your garage. Why shouldn't you want a Ferrari Puro Sangue? Or you have a Lamborghini Huracan in your garage. Why shouldn't you also have an Urus? You have the money, uh, so might as well do it. Um, and you know, it just... That was applied by Porsche back when they had the Cayenne as well. Um, crossovers and SUVs are hot right now. McLaren really needs the help uh, of all of the supercar makers. The one that you know seems to be floundering the most as of late is McLaren. Unfortunately, uh, they've just had a lot of cars that are honestly, I think, very similar to each other and um, have just not had the same appeal as something out of Italy for the most part. So a crossover, a McLaren crossover done right uh, would probably be very similar to, I bet, what Ferrari is putting out. Um, I know that the some of the rumors that they have actually come out with was the fact that it would be an all-electric crossover, um, which would be an interesting proposition. Uh, might I prefer something like the Artura powertrain, something like a twin-turbo V6 that is hybridized, a plug-in hybrid? I think it would be cool if you get both options, you know, something with a gas engine and then maybe an all-electric option as well. 
Um, I think that that would definitely have more appeal if they're going for numbers. And, uh, you know, you could charge crazy money for both of them, probably $300,000, $400,000 for a McLaren SUV. And I can almost guarantee that people would buy them. So, yeah, I'm all on board for it. Make it. I'm sure it's going to rock and uh, sell plenty of them and keep McLaren alive. <laughs> yeah, this could be their ticket to um, like uh, a longer life as opposed to the afterlife, which McLaren historically has been a company that has, you know, faced existential challenges um, continuously. You know, they yeah. went away from making road cars for decades, frankly. So um, I've been to their headquarters. It's amazing. Uh, I believe they're selling it, invoking England. Um, they they did sell it, and I think they're renting yeah. the space right now to use it still. <laughs> so it's, that's that's the sort of financials that they're dealing with. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, on uh, one hand, like, okay, if you got to do that kind of a real estate deal just because it makes more sense, fine. Yeah. I don't feel like with them it was like – we're doing this to try to make the books look better. It's more like, yeah, we got to sell this place and then we'll try and rent it. Um, Cause really it's more for the F1 team anyway, or it was, um, I haven't walked the floor lately, but <laughs> when I did, it was pretty cool. Um, Honda civic. This is the fast Honda one. Civic. Type R finally getting some stats. Uh, it's almost spot on with what I thought they would be. Uh, I imagine you probably thought this too. You're kind of a Honda guy. I would say this. This is a Type R that I can finally get on board with. The last generation was just too like sea monster for me. You know, pick the different like, you know, whatever ways to cliches to describe a car like that. But this one I think looks pretty good. And I think, you know, the powertrain's what I was expecting. So in that case, it gets a thumbs up for me. Yeah, really, this this latest dose of news that we got from it, just like you said, it, it is what we expected. Um, slightly more horsepower, a little bit more torque, uh, which is probably the, the most intriguing thing about it is that they've redesigned the turbo to give it a, a, a torquier power band from bottom to top, and that it should be a longer, meatier torque curve than the previous one, um, which could be like one of the biggest things that makes it different to drive because it uses a lot of the same chassis, a lot of the same suspension, um, so a lot of very similar things out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, this thing, it looks really good. I honestly like the way the old one looked too. Um, I, and I, I don't necessarily have a favorite. I don't think, uh, I think it was really cool when it sort of looked like a crazy Pikachu style design. And now it's this really nice clean Honda. Um, and like you're saying, me being a Honda guy, uh, I own some old Hondas from the 90s when honda had super clean simple design um and that really appeals to me in that way um it doesn't mean that i don't appreciate the crazy wings vents everywhere uh i think that that's actually going to age a lot better than uh the all, all of the criticism that it got at the start but this thing is beautiful it's going to be so good to drive and i really cannot wait for it just want to see a price that's the one thing we don't have on it yet uh, I know we we actually just got uh, GR Corolla pricing here. Um, starts at thirty seven thousand, and I think the circuit is forty three thousand. I imagine that the Type R will land somewhere within that range. Uh, would would make a lot of sense to me. So sounds good. Yeah, I think um, I've actually been somewhat impressed with the restraint that car companies have been able to exercise with some of their sportier cars. 
just given all of the you know inflation, chip shortages, just the demand issues, at least for the first year in some of its marketing, you don't want to come out with a car that's $10,000 more. You'd rather quietly issue a press release six months after it'd be like, well, we just raised the price $3,000, but um, hoping they hold the line on this one and, you know, you know, we'll see. All right. Mitsubishi Rally Art. We um, are seeing that coming back. I think this is a, you know, I, I think, let me put it this way. It's not going to really change Mitsubishi's like fortunes of the United States, but it's a nameplate with a lot of history. They've used it on a variety of things, frankly. Um, and it's at times been like a functionally been kind of like a sub brand for Mitsubishi. So for enthusiasts, this might push you over. Like maybe if you had owned an Evo or, you know, a Lancer or something in the past, um, and maybe you kind of moved over to like something different, like a Mazda or something, you know, this might bring you back, you know? Um, I don't know. I like the name. I drove some of the rally art branded cars about 10 years ago and thought they were fun. <clears throat> you know, we'll, we'll see. I think there's a lot of equity built up into it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that people definitely remember the name. I know. Uh, I mean, even back when I was looking at my, what should I buy for my first car, looking at old Mitsubishi Lancer rally arts, yeah. um, you know, that name means something to somebody. Obviously when people look at Mitsubishi, they look at the Lancer, they think of, oh, this thing dominated rally racing back in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, so, you know, does that name translate to sales now? Uh, well, I, I don't necessarily think this is going to like change anything big for Mitsubishi, just like you. Uh, they're throwing the name on some of their cars, an Outlander, Outlander plug-in hybrid, Eclipse Cross. None of those vehicles are exciting to drive, really, in almost any way. Um, will they look a little cooler? Yes. Uh, could they have, you know, maybe bigger wheels and tires, some cool rally art branding? Uh, maybe yes, but it looks like it's all going to be appearance stuff for the time being. Um, hopefully Mitsubishi can one day get back to doing real performance variants of its vehicles. Uh, that is when I will turn around and really start to be impressed. So. Yeah, I drove a, I actually found this online. The internet's amazing. A 2010 Lancer Rally Art Sportback um, towards, I think, the end of 2009. Uh, and it it had some of the goods. It had like Recaro seats. It was a super tight chassis. The steering was good. Um, like they did some things to it, you know. Yeah. It wasn't just like, you know, an appearance package. So exactly you know it wasn't an evo but it wasn't nothing either exactly you know? <laughs> and it i mean here was here's a powertrain two liter inline four all-wheel drive it had the six-speed sequential manual which was sort of like it wasn't it didn't have a clutch let me put it that way yeah. 237 horsepower 253 pound feet of torque the curb weight was just it was a little over 3500 i mean that was a fun car you know especially for 2010 you know i mean I don't know. I mean, like to me, sometimes we, you know, we'll criticize car companies when they don't go all the way, but sometimes just going halfway and giving something that to your point, it's not an Evo, but it doesn't have to be. And it made like your commute a lot more fun. I mean, I'm still talking about it 13 years later. They must have done something right. So yeah, no, it's, it's a very similar, a very similar formula to what a lot of car makers use today, like a Civic Si. It's, you know, it's a 
slightly, you know, it's sport injected SI. Mm-hmm. It's not a type R um, and it's affordable and you have, you have some performance. So if Mitsubishi did that with, you know, I mean, obviously they have a lot of crossovers in their lineup now, but I feel like they could do something to jazz those up a bit. All right. So let's uh, shift gears over to the reviews section. You drove a Tesla Model S Plaid and it had some miles on it, uh, but it was good to finally get behind the wheel of uh, a Tesla Model S for the first time in a while. Uh, first of all, how's the Model S holding up? You know, wh- what did you think of it? Uh, so this was really the first time that I'd driven a Model S, but really it's it would be sort of difficult to compare to to previous ones um, just because the Model S is very, very new this year. You know, it's it's as close uh, to a full redesign as Tesla gets to redesigning its cars. They don't really do much of anything. You know, there have been like the minor facelifts where they take the grill away, uh, you know, change some things in the battery chemistry, change the motors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the the recent update with just the regular Model S and then the Plaid itself is was like huge. And honestly, probably the, the biggest update that the car has had over its entire lifespan. Um, and it's, you know, it's genuinely uh, impressive what they've managed to pull off here. Uh, I have never driven anything quicker. Uh, it genuinely blew my mind using the uh, drag race launch mode. Um, you know, that is its big, big party trick out there. Um, but, uh, you know, beyond that, I, I ended up calling it, you know, in my conclusion to my review is that this is this is largely an American muscle car um, and less of an actual luxury car. Just because it, if you go ahead and look at this and, and how it compares to something like an actual luxury car, like a Mercedes-Benz EQS or BMW 7 Series or anything along those lines, it's a similar price point, about $150,000 for this uh, Plaid. It just does not stand up to that amount of luxury. The interior is very plain Jane. Uh, There's a little bit of carbon fiber trim. The uh, actual leather itself is pretty blah quality. Um, And the noise isolation is not that great. You know, it's more like something you'd get in a non-luxury car. You know, it just isn't isn't like a $150,000 luxury car. You're paying that $150,000 for a crazy quick accelerating car that handles decently, uh, has, you know, the the autopilot tech is is very cool and all, and it does some trick things that other car companies don't do yet. Um, but it's not this like magic bullet where, you know, you can see people out there taking their eyes off off the road completely and not paying attention. It's not that good. It really isn't. Uh, after like 60 miles of driving on the highway, um, I had to do multiple corrections with it throughout my time. Um, and uh, I, I guess I haven't even touched on on the yoke yet. Um, but like I mentioned in in my review, it's not good. It, it's it's a backward step. Honestly, uh, there was pretty much nothing that it did better than what a steering wheel could do. I saw like no practical benefit to it at all. It just made things worse, honestly, and honest, like every single situation, like enthusiastic driving. Uh, you know, I, I I ended up figuring out that I actually moved my hands around the wheel a lot more than I thought I probably did around like a twisty, meandering road. You know, with tight corners, longer corners, you end up you know going hand over hand with like a hairpin or something like that. 
Uh, and it's just so awkward and weird to do that in the plaid because they haven't actually changed the steering ratio with it. So you're just there like awkwardly grasping the wheel and, well, sorry, not wheel, like the top of the yoke to twist it around. And yeah, it's just, it's not great. And then, and then you try to parallel park or do a U-turn. There's just no getting used to it. I never liked it. Um, and uh, I, I find it very difficult to believe that anybody who's owned it for a long amount of time would actually end up liking it more than a steering wheel. So in a nutshell, Model S Plaid. <laughs> yeah, I actually can't wait to drive that yoke. I don't, who knows when we'll get a Tesla again. Not because I think it's good, but just it sounds so like, well, bad maybe isn't totally the right word, but just very interesting. You know, polarizing, it <laughs> like it is bad. Yeah, and I'm also thinking too, like how much I like fuss with the wheel, fidget with the wheel, Put your hand on top of the wheel. I mean, how do you take a sip of coffee with like, what do you like claw the wheel? You know, like it just, it seems very awkward. You know, there's a lot of things we're sort of at this point genetically trained to do about driving, you know? So I don't know. It sounds weird. It, it really does change a lot of things in how you drive. And I, I should also note that this particular yoke, uh, like you mentioned at the start there, 19,000 miles on this plaid. Uh, this yoke had like most of its covering had been worn away. Uh, and we actually found, you know, in some random Twitter threads throughout the, the past couple of weeks that this has been happening to other people with Model S plaids out there. People have been complaining about it. This one had the same problem where like half of the, the faux leather covering on the wheel was just gone. Uh, it had worn away from hand sanitizer, lotion, you name it. I... It's it's hard to say exactly what the uh, the issue was in this particular case, just because it was a rental that had seen almost twenty thousand miles at this point. But obviously, that is far too few miles for this actual steering wheel cover to be wearing away. Uh, it's not a great look for a hundred fifty thousand dollar car that is built as a luxury car. That's a very interesting observation uh, because nineteen thousand miles is not that many miles, you know, I mean, we've sometimes had press cars, long-termers that get into that territory, you know, and you might just end up in a car that maybe was very important and stayed in the fleet for a long time. It's somewhat rare, but you know, that's not that many miles. So I think, you know, it will be interesting to see how Tesla's hold up the more miles they get and how like their customers respond. You know, I think it's, it's not a good or a bad thing. It's just kind of like, you know, you have a very, very, very loyal customer base that I think sometimes is willing to overlook things that maybe just as journalists, we're like, this is good. This is bad. Call it how you see it. You know, it, for us, we don't care about the brand. Right. You know, so, yeah. and even if there is a brand, maybe you sort of like it, when you're in the driver's seat, it doesn't matter. You know, you're just, you judge the car on its merits. So, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see how this holds up over time. My my sense is it's not going to really matter, but it's also a new enough company that many of its cars don't have that many miles on it, you know? So we'll, I mean, we'll see. The Model S has been around a while, you know, there's, I'm sure there's cars out there with six figures on the clock and um, yeah. Yeah. This one, I honestly think you can chalk up to, you know, they, they decided there's going to be a yoke. Uh, who knows how late in, in their process, did they test the yoke for longevity? Mm. Um, 
I don't know. Doesn't sound there like are, it. There are a number of examples you can point to out there that show that it wears down pretty quickly. Um, thankfully, that was the, the only really big problem within the car after that many miles, though. So yeah. most of it is still, you know, they've had got a decade of making Model S's at this point, more than that. So it's um, it's not a, a brand new thing anymore. Yeah. The last time I did drive a Model S, I enjoyed it immensely. It's a beautiful car. It, you know, it's to your point, it's, it's kind of more of a muscle car than it is like, you know, this like German sports sedan kind of vibe. It's, you know, it has been a few years, but I was immensely impressed with it, you know? So, all right, well, let's stay electric. We've got a couple of Kias we could talk about, but let's do EV6 first. You drove our long-termer to, let's see, usually when you put a lot of miles in that car, it means you went to New York. Uh, is that what you went, the EV6? I, I, I actually did. Uh, okay. It wasn't wasn't for the, uh, you know, it wasn't going for the usual reasons, okay. um, but uh, we ended up in New York anyways, uh, near the Adirondacks. Okay. Um, went about 1,400 miles with it which uh, ended up in me stopping at Fast Chargers uh, one, two, three times on the way there, and one, two, three, four, five times on the way back. Um, so a lot of charging involved in this, this whole trip, and I'm happy to report that it went really well, actually. Uh, I did not get stranded at any point. I did not run into a charger that... Uh, you know, had any horrible problems that made me uh, have to wait crazy amounts of time. Uh, ran into a few chargers along the way that um, were were broken, but at the same location, there were others that were that were working, and really nobody else around. Like almost every single charger that I stopped at was completely empty and devoid of others. Um, so the road trip itself went really well. I really, really liked the driver assistance systems on the EV6 too. The highway driving assist uh, is just downright excellent. Uh, you know, you just sort of keep tabs on the wheel with a hand or both hands, and it just tracks along pretty much everywhere, uh, as well as anything out there. Honestly, it is one of the best uh, lane following systems of any manufacturer, um, and uh, you know, it's it, it's comfortable. It's relatively quiet, you know. It's not like Mercedes-Benz EQS quiet in there, but um, it's it's great to lap up a lot of miles in and just comfortably go about your day. So, yeah, I frankly loved driving it. Uh, you know, stopping 15 minutes there, 20 minutes there, it's obviously a little less convenient than just stopping five minutes to splash a full full tank of gas in it. But I don't think it was a detriment to the trip at all. I mean, I I got home probably. Uh, 30 to 45 minutes later than I would have if I were driving a gasoline-powered car. And it took us an extra 30, 45 minutes to go this place or go that place. Um, but, you know, those are not like trip killers by any means. So this was this is a great test for it. And it it passed with the flying colors. Um, I got to say that the, the EV charging infrastructure passed too. So if there were more cars charging, which I was honestly expecting there to be more because it was the Labor Day weekend. Figured there'd be more road trippers going around, um, but there weren't. And I could just pull into a charger and charge right away. Um, yeah, that honestly, the speed at which the EV6 charges on those super fast fast chargers is such a difference maker. The fact that it can ramp up to 
230-240 kilowatt charge speed is massive. I know some other EVs that I've driven that have tried to do that with, and you could be sitting there for 40-45 minutes waiting for a, a charge that would in the EV6 takes about 16 to 20 minutes. So that is honestly a huge saver on these sorts of trips. You just have like enough time to walk into the Walmart and then like five minutes later you get the notification on your phone that your car is 80% charged. It's like, oh, okay, cool. I guess it's time to go now. I nice. barely spent any time out of the car. So yeah, I, I really liked it. Is that so you charge at a Walmart? I'm curious, where else did you charge? Oh man. So I charged at a gas station okay. actually. Uh, I charged at two different Walmarts. Okay. I charged at a massive shopping center. It was like this almost like mini mall, mall mm -hmm. sort of situation. Um, charged at another gas station. Um, and then the last location that I charged at was just an apartment complex um, mm. that, that, that had some chargers. For the most part, they were Walmarts though, honestly. I, I, I think Walmarts and gas stations were the two um, most common locations that had chargers. Um, unfortunately, none that were like on rest stops right along the highway. Uh, the route that I was taking on the 80 and 90 on the way there uh, just didn't have any. So that that always, I, I will note, that will add time to trips because it takes like five minutes to get off the highway. Then you got to go find the charger. You got to figure out how to plug in. It always, it takes longer than it does to actually just stick a gas nozzle in there. You got to wait for the credit card to go through. It has to talk to the car. It's a whole process that like getting off plugged in and then getting unplugged and then back on takes, you know, a good 10 to 15 minutes of extra time right there. So slight inconvenience, but like I said, none of it was a trip killer. Hmm. That sounds, I mean, I'm intrigued. I have not done a very long range trip in an electric car. So I hope the infrastructure gets a little bit better in the coming years. Like, Walmart, that's fine, you know, like random apartment complex. Okay, cool, you know. But I mean, I think where you get a little more like just ease of use for your average consumer is when maybe some gas stations transition a third of their pumps to electric chargers, or, you know, you're seeing them at like, you know, on like 8090 or something. There's like a designated route where, or in Michigan, an I 75, where it's like, here are the chargers. And there's also a Starbucks there. You know, it's tremendous business opportunity, I think, you know, I mean, just like roadside plazas are, I mean, it's the same thing. So, yeah, honestly, I've spent too much time in Walmarts as of late. Like I'll go in there and end up spending money at the Walmart because yeah. I'm waiting for my car to charge. Like, and it's like, well, okay. I need a Gatorade and, oh, I forgot <laughs> this and oh, I haven't read a car magazine in a while. So, yeah, I can see that. Exactly. You walk out of there $20 poorer because it's, you're just moseying around in walmart and of course these things look oh yeah well i need that of course so yeah there's there is that <laughs> i have two um mums for fall we like to have kind of a bright yellow look around the house it's a nice aesthetic out front i was at meyer this morning and i literally almost walked out with three more but i didn't i was pretty <laughs> if you had had to pay if like if the mums were inside i would have probably bought them but i had to go outside get the mums and bring them back in I was doing something else. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm just not going to do this. But they were only six bucks, which is a good price for. Yeah. Those are cheap they were small moms. ones, though. I want to say, yeah. Small yeah. ones, okay. Yeah. I, I want to say that we, we we paid like $10 for moms yeah. last year. So six bucks, Walmart. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, 
All right, so I spent some time in the EV6. This was the uh, all-wheel drive wind edition. It's actually a story you wrote a while ago about how you don't want rear-wheel drive in the EV6. I mean, it's fine if you do, but all-wheel drive is the one that you want. And that was something that this loan kind of underscored for me. It just, all of that torque going to the wheels, the handling, it felt like a car I would have some confidence to take on winter in which some electric cars, I don't necessarily feel that way, but it um, it handled really well. And I really like the all-wheel drive system. Um, I'm enjoying the EV6. This is, I think, the second or third time I've driven it. I think it looks great. The interior is, uh, it's simple, but it's, you know, it's usable. So I think it's definitely something that has, you know, it's it's been, I think it's been a good conversation starter for Kia. Um, in the electric space, you know, and I think it's the execution has been great. Um, I had the one with uh, 310 miles of electric range, 225 horsepower, 258 pound feet of torque because it's an electric car. Get all that torque right away. Frankly, that's all you need, I think. Um, <clears throat> it felt torquier than that. Let me put it that way. Uh, this had the glacier paint, which was very handsome. I think Kia is taking some risks with. Uh, the different options they offer, some of the exterior packages, including the paint. One was more of a matte, like a matte, like really matte one. This one is more of a, like a glacier color. So yeah, got a lot of attention. I went golfing with a friend and he like literally like got in it, was looking in the back. It's like, I, I might have to get this car. And I did not expect that from a, just, you know, to me, it was like, Hey, this is you know, I've driven it before. It's, you know, it's it's fun to drive. It's an important car, but it got a lot of attention. So I'm looking forward to getting into our long-termer. I've actually betted non-autoblog long-termers, uh, non-autoblog long-term EV6s is an awkward way of saying it. I haven't been in our long-termer. So, um, you know, in some ways, I, I guess I don't I, need to. I really... <laughs> no, it will it will be coming your way soon and you should totally do a road trip. Yeah. Just to, you know, see see that EV infrastructure. Um, you know, there are just so many little intricacies of those chargers um and like the actual payment yeah. terminals. It's like sometimes the swipe works, sometimes you have to mm-hmm. insert the chip because one is broken and one is working. Uh some of the, the the boxes, you know, they really lag when you go through the touch screen interface. Some of them are really quick. There's just like all these small little things that like you learn as, as you go through them. And it's, it's weird. And it's, it, it's probably something that I will eventually do a post on just like all the strange intricacies and challenges of trying to charge. Um, you know, especially when you go between something like an electrify America and an EV go, if you're swapping the sort of, you know, station that you go to, it's not like just swapping a gas station, like stopping at a shell versus a mobile one. It's like, no, it's an entirely different experience. The order of events in which you do things are different. Uh, the way that they've organized their chargers, the way that you're supposed to park is different. And it's like, there are all of these weird things that you have to learn. And I feel like I've done a lot of learning driving that thing around. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, that definitely sounds like a story of just like going into like the weird stuff that you end up learning by doing this. <laughs> no, that's really the best way to explore a car and really um, get a good handle on it. It's simply just to drive it and then kind of learn on the fly. Sometimes you have to wing it. 
especially with these new like different like layouts for the charging infrastructure. I it reminds me a little bit when infotainment systems got a lot more complex, like sometime around like 2009 to 2011, sort of the advent of like Ford Sync. It went from basically your car had a radio and a CD player and maybe a nav to like an iPad. And it almost is like overnight. And there was a learning curve. And you're seeing that with EVs. I think that's I think that's a good thing. I think it's um for me, I still find it very interesting to get in an electric vehicle and try out all the different things. Um, you know, and sometimes like the more basic ones, like the like the Volkswagen ID4, the Mach E the Ford to a certain extent, this EV6, the Ionic 5, I actually tend to find those more interesting because they're just, they're more honest. They are what they are. Like you get in like one of the Mercedes electrics, like the EQS, and you're just like, oh, holy smokes, look at this, like this screen, the cinematic thing. Um, <laughs> and it that's fine too. You know, it's a different price point for one thing, but it's nice to just focus on like what the car is at its mission as an EV. So. So yeah, um, I rolled up almost 300 miles to Kia Sportage X Pro Prestige, uh, which is more miles than I thought I'd put on it, uh, to be honest. That's a pretty good, healthy loan. Uh, this one, I think, for me, the big takeaway here was a great value. Uh, the sticker price was 38665 and that gives you all the X Pro stuff. This is actually, I think, the first time I've driven an X Pro, which is Kia's kind of off-roading, like trim. It had the knobby tires. It just it looked the part, a little bit of cladding along the bottom. Um, like Kia, like we mentioned with the EV6, beautiful front LED lights. They're kind of these like boomerang things, almost old school, but still futuristic, just the way they like present. Um, handsome car. I To be honest, I haven't driven a Kia in quite some time that I have not liked how it looked. Let me put it that way. You know, if you're going to roll up a lot of miles, maybe X-Pro trim isn't the thing you want to do. Um, it was comfortable enough. It certainly wasn't like a Wrangler as far as off-roading. But big tires, you know, it's, you know, it, it could definitely go get muddy and dirty if you wanted it to. And I didn't really have the need to, you know, use any of that extra sort of like stuff. But it really is largely an appearance package on the Sportage. So. Um, Three of us went a uh, rather lengthy road trip. We were comfortable. Um, I put a lot of stuff in the back. You know, I would just kind of say, hey, the Sportage is highly competitive in a segment where there's a million different offerings. So, and if you like X-Pro, this is, I mean, it's a cool looking trim. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely out there for you. Yeah, I, I, I've not driven a, a Sportage yet, but I agree with you on, on the looks of that thing. The, the X-Pro is definitely my favorite looking of that bunch. And I know that Hyundai and Kia are really expanding with that sort of like uh, X-Pro, um, just th that faux off-road style for their just very normal yeah. crossovers that are you know not really off-road oriented at all. Um, but they all look good. Um, and I feel like that's a lot of what what people want um, just sort of like a forest yeah. or wilderness or an outback wilderness um this one another one just looks looks really nice so glad to hear that it's a 17 inch um matte alloy wheels with all-terrain tires and a roof rack and some cargo nuts in back and that's about all i could really decipher uh gives this thing anything sort of 
extra capability, but it does look the part. So uh, let's wrap things up with some final thoughts on the Hyundai Palisade. Our long-termer is gone and not forgotten. We enjoyed it. Got a lot of miles on it. Went up north a lot. A little more comfortable than, say, this X-Pro Sportage thing, but it's also a three-row crossover. Uh, another car that I thought was a tremendous value. Very comfortable on the highway with those captain's chairs. I thought it was a great alternative to like a minivan just because it was very accessible. And I, I think the looks held up pretty well. It's funny just how fast the car industry moves. In the time we got it as a long-termer, by the time it left, we did extend it a little bit, if I recall. There was already the refresh. The refresh yes. was out. Like the, the, the new car had a different grill. So, um, you know, this one's gone and they have another one on the way. But you wrote the final wrap up, final thoughts. Yeah, I, I wrote the final wrap up and I also wrote the first drive for that refresh. So I thought that was a really interesting way to go ahead and put the bow on the original one was to sort of take a look at, all right, so this is, this is where the old one was. This is where the new one is at now. And almost like, do you need the, do you really need the new one? Do you want the new one? Or is, is the one that we spent a year and a half with uh, just fine? Um, I think it really comes down to some of the tech features uh, th that the new one has are, will be the real kicker. Um, if, if you want to go like a pre-owned one of our long-term or, or a new one of the refresh. Um, but yeah, man, the, year and a half that we spent with that Palisade. Uh, honestly, I, it might be like the least problematic of all the long-termers uh, that I have ever uh, oversaw here. Um, this thing didn't have, you know, any unexpected dealer trips due to anything broken. Uh, the one like issue, and I'm making like quote motions with, with my hands here is uh, a rodent chewed through an O2 sensor wire. Um, and that's obviously not the Palisades fault. Uh, that was the rodent that decided it looked tasty. So yeah, th th this thing put 16,000 trouble-free miles on it. Um, just one oil change and, uh, kept on trucking away. I used it to move. Uh, it was great. It's huge. You can fit desks, chairs, whatever you want to chuck into the back there. Uh, it will fit a lot of things. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a really, really comfy, long road tripper um, that I, I really enjoyed having for a while. So, yeah, go ahead and check out the story. It uh, it really was a, a non-fussy, great long-termer. Yeah, I think uh, I put a lot of miles on it myself, took it up north multiple times. One of our updates has a picture of it with kayaks and kind of like a smoky campfire. A lot of good memories in that car. So I think, um, you know. It definitely goes down as I would say like top five as far as like one of our better um better long termers. I guess we haven't done a Hall of Fame of long termers, but this one I think it would make the cut to get in. Let me put it that way. Maybe we should do that. That might be kind of a fun, you know, auto blog long term. Long term Indeed, Hall of Fame. yeah. You know, you get like a yellow jacket or a green jacket and trophy. I don't know. Uh, how about throw we a medal in there too? Why not <laughs> throw a medal in there? You get rings. I mean, yeah, we're talking about this here. Uh, All right, let's spend some money. This is a good one. Brian writes, I've been loving the podcast, guys, but I need some help spending my money. I'm looking to buy a new sports car or sporty sedan. 
$30,000 to work with. It must be a manual, can't be front wheel drive. All wheel drive is not preferable, but it's tolerable. Four door or two door, doesn't matter. Naturally aspirated engine is preferred, but he'd think he'd take a turbo. Here's the field he's looking at. Miata, Toyota 86, Honda S2000, Nissan 370Z. Also interested in a Camaro or a Mustang, he would like it to be V8. Please let him know if there's any other options he should consider. So, um, pretty good question. Right in our wheelhouse. 30 grand for something sporty. Um, it's a fairly narrow field what he's offered up. I will kick it over to you for some initial thoughts. Man, this is this is a dream scenario right here, honestly. This is grand. you, right? So, yeah. I honestly I am in a very similar scenario right now. I'm probably looking to spend more like 20 grand on okay. a sports car. Uh, and I'm, I'm specifically looking at convertibles, uh, mm. so we can go ahead and take my, my perspective out of it here. Uh, but I am definitely in, in a similar boat to you. Uh, and the one that I, I, I really narrowed it down to is a Porsche Boxster. Um, oh, and to just buy like the most Porsche Boxster that I can for the money. Um, now I know that that isn't one of them that is on your list. Uh, but do I think it would be a really awesome option? Yes, I've driven a couple of them now, uh, both Boxster S's. They're a lot of fun. Um, so definitely keep your eyes on, on something there. Uh, I, I will note that that will be older, uh, but it sounds like you're okay with something older just because you threw the Honda S2000 on that list. Um, and a Porsche Boxster of that price will be of a similar age and provenance of the S2000. Um, if you're looking for something newer, uh, I definitely like the idea of a Miata. Um, go convertible or, or RF, whichever one you prefer. I think they're both really, really cool. Um, but uh, that's that's definitely the way that I would lean if I were picking between Miata or the uh, 86 BRZ twins. Um, I just really, really love a good Miata. I like the engine more, like trans a little more. Um, and I just like the idea that you're able to drop the top when you feel like it. Uh, and this sounds like it's it's a fun toy car. Um, if it was a track car, um, and maybe it is, uh, then I would go 86 or BRZ, but um, Miata all the way for me. All right. I'm going to go S2000. I drove a club racer um, in this vintage, uh, if you will, of like what you could get for 30 grand. You could still comfortably find some of them. I'm looking at one right now for 22 grand. It's not the club racer, uh, but it's these are out there. I think the S2000 is a very visceral car. It's, it has the same idea as the rest of the things we're talking about here, but it's just so, it's its own thing. It's really just like a, you know, a tough guy of a sports car. You know, it's going to be challenging to drive. It's pretty small. This may not be like for you. I would 100% say you got to test this out because a Miata, I think, could fit a lot of different people. But, you know, within 10 minutes, you're going to know if the S2000 is your flavor of brandy or not. And it uh, kind of sounds like, Brian, that might be, you know, he likes this flavor of brandy, if you will. And I, I always found that car to be really energetic. Um, you know, I drove it on 696 in the heart of rush hour, and that was not a great experience. Um, small car, super hot, but... Um, so I guess it's, we don't exactly know what the use case is here. Is it like a third car? Is it more of a daily driver? The other thing too is like anything could be a daily driver. It just depends on what your, like your daily drive is. Is your daily drive a beautiful open country road 
where it's 60 degrees every day, then yeah, you can drive a 911 as your daily driver or whatever. Um, so that's my first choice. And then I will also go with a Boxster. Um, I think that's, I will uh, concur with you. It wasn't initially on my list, but I will wholeheartedly agree with you. I see one here on uh, on Edmonds for $18,250 with some pretty sweet wheels. Um, got a lot of miles on it, but you know, it's, you know, you could get in that range. Here's one that's in, um, you know, much, many fewer miles, you know, a little bit more, but they're out there. If you look, one of my neighbors has a red Boxster and I look at it every day when I walk the dog, um, and try not to get caught staring at this random car. Cause it's just, it's a beautiful car. And I think it'd be a lot of fun to own. So that's yeah. all I got. Yeah, if you have $30,000 to work with, you can either get yourself an absolutely perfect first-gen Boxster S or the following generation Boxster or Boxster S with a few more miles on it. Mm. But still, maybe but probably like under 70,000, 60,000 miles um, that you can get for thirty grand. I know because I've been looking for a while at there this you go. point. I should probably stop telling other people to buy Boxsters because they're going to go and buy the one that I eventually want. <laughs> but... I cannot uh, endorse them enough. I feel at at this point, it's a it's it's a really really great car, and I'm hoping that I find one soon, and hoping you find one soon too, Brian. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. All right, so we've been talking about our fall beers and things like that. I'm gonna throw a change up here because we've both done some road trips. What's your go-to fast food on a road trip if you choose to partake in fast food? Ooh, fat, go-to fast food is definitely gonna be a sub. Um, okay. And, All right. Uh, Didn't yeah, see that one coming. On on a road trip, yeah. Um, just specifically because I've been driving through New York uh, so much over the yeah. past week, uh, a Wegman's sub, mm, I think, is about good. as as good as it gets. Wegman's, if you guys haven't heard of them before, it's a it's it, it's a grocery chain that started in New York. Um, they've since expanded to a couple other states, um, but uh, they're they're almost like uh, a Whole Foods. Um, or like some like a a grocery store with like a level up, um, you know. It's 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 your more luxurious grocery store, and they have really great delis in every single one of them. They make like the best subs. Wow! They okay. they, 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 they pile them high. They have great fresh ingredients a hundred percent of the time. Um, they they have like legitimate awesome cafes and these things. Like they're they serve alcoholic beverages at grocery stores. Like this is this is some like weirdly high class fast food um and it's it's cheap too you know it's 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 not more than what you pay for like a big mac and fries and a drink so yeah if 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 you're going through new york go get yourself a sub at wegman's you're gonna love it i feel like we used to have editors that would work from like the whole foods and like ann arbor and some of those grocery stores and sip wine and it's like okay (laughs) way to go man that's that's the way to live um All right. Well, I'm going to keep it simple. I would say lately I've had Culver's, which is good because you can dip the chicken tenders into the ranch dressing while driving. I think that's reasonably safe, you know, for me anyway. Um, Don't try this on the road. That's a good (laughs) one. And you can get a lot of like fries and figure food and things like that. So that's what I've been eating. I will say this Taco Bell after you've stopped. I don't really want to eat Taco Bell on the road. That's challenging. but, you know, once you get home, it's, you know, if the taco, you know, falls apart. It doesn't matter as much. 
and Taco Bell is everywhere. And look, usually it's consistent. You know, it's about the same as far as like, you know what you're getting. So, yeah. Yeah, man. I, you know, the, one of the reasons I say subs too is just because I've been on these road trips where, you know, you stop and charge. A sub is like the most perfect thing to eat. Yeah. If you're, you're sitting there for like 15, 20 minutes. Boom. Perfect yeah. time to eat a sub and off you go. The uh, Taco Bell is, uh, you know, I, I, I used to eat a lot of Taco Bell. I don't know why I stopped, but I haven't had them in a while. Maybe I should pick them back up. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Uh, get in the comments. Tell us if you think Zach should take up his Taco Bell habit. Um, let us know. If you like the podcast, that's five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your Spend My Monies. That's podcast at autoblog.com. We'll be back next week with all the latest news from the Detroit Auto Show. Until then, be safe out there.